Uh, for those of you visiting, I'm Dave Hook. I'm usually back here doing what this tall guy did here, Joe, and I really appreciate them covering. I get the privilege of uh, sharing the message with you today. And what a wonderful time to, to usher in our Thanksgiving season. We just finished a series on Psalm 23 called Satisfied. We're going to move into the Advent season next week, Christmas season. And I call this message today kind of an epilogue to what we just experienced. And I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Psalm 136. Psalm 136, I believe it's page uh, 539, if you need the Bibles there in the rack in front of you. Came home last night from worship, and um, my kids um, had their San Jose Sharks hockey jerseys on, getting ready to watch the game. And all night long, I heard them back in their room cheering on as all the goals were made. I assume they won. I don't know. But it took me back because when we lived in the Bay Area, we go see those hockey games. And they had this interesting way they celebrated a goal. As soon as, as, soon as they would make a goal, this foghorn would go off. And then do, they do this music, kind of this uh, I don't know, chant-style dance music, and it would go, da-da-da-da-da-da, and right there in that space, we'd all yell, hey, like that stadium, loud stadium. Did you ever have cheers like that in high school, college, that you remember the old, you know, we got spirit, yes, we do? Guess what Psalm 136 is? It's a stadium cheer. That's literally what it is. It's about people in call and response. The worship leader calls out an attribute of God and the people respond with the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. Can you say that? His steadfast love endures forever. Good for you. Will you stand? Because you're going to do it nine more times, okay? <laughs> Come on, let's all stand up. We're not going to do all 26 times, all right? We're just going to do the first nine verses, all right, and this is a stadium cheer, so you could say it really loud, extolling God for who he is and what he has done. You ready? All right, I forgot. I got the clicker. I got to show you the words, okay? Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. Now remember, you're cheering for a team here, all right? Come on, we can get some spirit here. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. There you go. Yeah, to him who made the great lights. Don't give up the sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. Let me ask you, how does that make you feel? Wow. It's better than a couple of cups of coffee. I don't know, maybe. You can be seated. But that's how Psalm 136 begins. God of gods, Lord of lords, creator and sustainer of all. I went into a home improvement center to buy some flowers in um, celebration of the birth of my three-month-old granddaughter a few months ago. You're going to see her in just a moment. I vowed I would never do pictures of babies and puppies, and I'm going to break one of those rules today, all right? <sighs> Thankfulness. I call it gratitology. You won't find that in a dictionary, all right? 
just as we study theology, which is the study of God, we're gonna study the art of gratitude today, Gratitology 101. And Psalm 136 is a visual guide to that. It shows us the attitude of the ancient Hebrew people. And thankfulness was woven throughout um, all of time for the Hebrew people. And this concept of giving thanks goes much further back than Plymouth. You know, we're gonna celebrate that this week, but really this, this concept of gratitude is woven throughout all of time. Let me show you what I mean. Oh, let me go back. This little diagram, I don't know if you can see it. The outside ring is the ancient Hebrew calendar. This is the calendar that we follow, 12-month calendar. And then we have certain feasts and festivals. Now, if you can't see that, that's okay. You email, email me and I'll send it to you for $75, so... <laughs> All right, but I want you to look at this. <laughs> if you go to the book of Leviticus, you know, we know Leviticus is a book that teaches uh, God's people how to approach him in worship, how to live a life of holiness. I mean, down to how they treated mold and mildew in their homes and all kinds of yucky things. I thought someday I'd write a book when I have spare time and call it, Don't Touch That, You Don't Know Where It's Been. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's what we think Leviticus is, but really it's so much more than that. Because what God does is he begins to set up certain offerings, sacrifices that God's people brought to him. Sacrifices that were peace offerings, guilt offerings, offerings of atonement, offerings of thanksgiving and praise. And he wove throughout the time scale of the Hebrew people festivals. I call them parties, times to remember, to recount, to celebrate. And <clears throat> what we see here is we see some of the feasts that were, you have to understand this real quick. With the Hebrew people, they saw time as cyclic and linear, okay? And what we see is the cycling of the seasons and festivals, the Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Tabernacles, Atonement, Trumpets. These were woven into their everyday lives from one year to the next, season upon season, where they would remember and retell. Now, why would God do this? Because God wanted this attitude of gratitude to be part of their everyday lives. Not only in their ceremony or their experience of worship, but in their very lifestyle of worship. Everything was from him. Everything through him. Everything to the Lord. And they shaped their life in the image of the God they worshiped, Yahweh. Now, later on, you see our church fathers begin to say, hey, we really need to celebrate in similar fashion the gospel story. Now, I'm making this very simplistic, all right? A lot happened, and it goes much deeper than this. But they said, we need to celebrate the gospel story. People need to know who Jesus is and what he's done. And that's how we come up with our, our, um, our church calendar. We're going to celebrate Advent starting next week, an epiphany. Ash Wednesday, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost. This is gonna take us all the way through the Easter season. So we have the Hebrew calendar. We have the ancient church calendar. And like many of us, though, we don't live by either one of those. We live by the Hallmark calendar, <laughs> right? And that's what's gonna happen this week. But I think that's okay because Psalm 136, whether you follow a Hebrew or church or a Hallmark calendar, you can still weave gratitude throughout your daily life. And I think it's so much more than just, hey, be polite to the man upstairs. I think it's so much more than flattery to Almighty God. Let me show you what I mean. Now, we're not gonna go verse by verse with Psalm 136. I hope you go home and read it on your own. 
but we are gonna squeeze it like a sponge. And when I did that, four words came to mind. First of all, here's the main point that I wanna share with you. Practicing true gratitude is the way we encounter God's real presence and goodness every day. You'll see what I mean by that in a moment. It is an act of faith rooted in God's wonder and beauty and motivated, and get this, by the abundance of his grace and love. An act of faith, an act of belief. This is so much more than the lion and the wizard of Oz saying, I do believe, I do, I do, I do. It's what we call effectual faith. It's what we call saving faith. By grace you are saved how? Through faith, not of works. We walk in that same faith, that belief, that reliance upon, that trusting in. And this was true for, the, for God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, this practice of faith. And out of that faith sprung gratitude. And this is why. Here we go. When we give thanks, as we see in Psalm 136, when I give thanks, I acknowledge that the Lord of all truly exists and that he is actively at work in my life. Acknowledgement. This is more than a formal banquet or putting a few names in the front inside cover of a book. I think another word for this could be uh, recognition or to recognize. You don't have to do anything to get God's favor and goodness. You just have to recognize it, see it, receive it by faith. What does the Bible say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Real gratitude springs out of authentic faith, believing in God, trusting his promises, reliance upon him for everything. This is how Psalm 136 begins, what you just read. Give thanks to the God of gods, Lord of lords, the creator of all. He spoke out of nothing. He sustains everything by the word of his power right now. Everybody take a breath. Let it out. That is a gift of God's common grace that you just, that you just took today. In him, we live and move and have our being. And not only, <coughs> excuse me, did God weave into the time scale of the Hebrew people times of thanks, a rhythm of grace, but also sacred space. He created a spot, a geographic place called the tabernacle where they would enter in. And what does the scriptures tell, tell us in Psalm 100? To enter his gates, How? Thanksgiving. There was an outer court. There was an inner court. There was a holy place. There was a holy of holies. Do you know when we gather as God's people here in this time and place, we symbolically enter into that same progression. We're going to celebrate it today. We gathered in praise. We're hearing the word of God. We're going to gather around the table and then we are sent out. Going in, going out. This is the rhythm of God's grace. He draws us in so that he may send us out in grace with gratitude in our hearts. And step one of that is acknowledgement. Whether it's in my worship experience or in all of life, I wake up every single day, deny myself, take up my cross, as it says in Luke 9, 23, and I give thanks to him. When I drove into the parking lot this morning, I said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I entered into that. What did Pastor Ryan say last week? Seeing God in the world changes the world you see. The world you see shapes the life you live. Now, my uh, daughter, Jenna, and her husband, Rob, they live up in San Jose. They have two German short hair pointers. And uh, the, the, the name, the breed itself, tells you what they do. Guess what they do? 
They point. They see a varmint somewhere in the backyard, man. Their nose sticks out. Their eyes get big. That, little, that leg, you know, lifts up. That little stubby tail gets even tighter, you know, and more rigid. And what's, what are they saying? It's right here. Don't you see it? You know, I think that's really step one to gratitude. We don't have to think up big things for God. We don't have to go, well, I don't see him anymore. We just have to recognize where God is at work and just point. That's step one to thankfulness acknowledging that God exists and that he is actively at work in my life. Because when you do that, guess what? God shows up. I encountered that in my life. And he begins to reveal to you. Now, here's the struggle. This is the crisis of belief we face every single day. Because the Bible teaches that we are people that stop giving gratitude and acknowledging. And there's symptoms of that. Just as, just as there are symptoms of the flu or any other virus, there's symptoms of ingratitude. Let me show you what I mean. This is out of, um, oh, for, first of all, before I share that with you, this is the key phrase. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Can you say this out loud with me? From him, through him, to him. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about everything proceeding from God. The Greek word for that is ek. That means from him, of his very essence. D or dia, that means through him, on account of him, because of him, and then ace, to or unto. Everything, everyone is wired up to glorify him. Everything is for his purpose, his glory, his pleasure. Now, before I get back to that, that symptom of disbelief, as I began to practice this in my own life, I began to see that small graces were welling up in my life. I began to see the good gifts of God. First, uh, James 1.17 says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I began to see what I call the small graces pointing to the greatest grace that we have in all our salvation in Christ. I'd have a good meal. Um, I put on my jeans yesterday and I found this, this $20 bill that accidentally got washed in the wash. Man, that was a small grace. <laughs> Told you, I said, I thought I would never do this. But I had to do it. Five in the morning. Believe it or not, I'm happy at five in the morning. You know why? Small grace. You ever experienced that in your life? Or when you go to the repairman, he says, hey, guess what? That bill's not going to cost us much. Everybody say hallelujah, okay? <laughs> Small graces. We begin to see that these things aren't coincidental. They're from him. They're through him. They're to him. We begin to live this life of enjoyment. Now, back to what I, I got ahead of myself on. Disbelief. Romans 1 tells us this. For although they knew God. Now, who's the they? It's all of humanity. In Romans 1, he's speaking of humanity and how he manifested himself in all of creation. He, sh he showed humanity his attributes. And it says this, though. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or do what? Say it. Interesting. They didn't acknowledge but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now in Isaiah and Jeremiah, you can see that they say that the, the uh, evidence of this disbelief and ingratitude are, are these things. You can scribble this in the margin. Spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, hardness of heart. A darkened, hardened heart 
Spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness. You know, I've encountered that even in my own life when I've gone through times when I've wandered away in disbelief and skepticism. Have you ever experienced that? There was a time in my life, one time, even as a pastor, and someday I'll tell you about that. My heart got, my heart got so hard at five in the morning, God spoke to me and said, that heart won't do anymore, Dave. It was a radical change for me. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I had to nurture gratitude again in my life. My heart began to soften. I began to see evidence of where God was at work. Romans 1 goes on to say this, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, what they're saying is the very gifts of God became the gods themselves. They put the gifts of God above the giver of those gifts. It's called idolatry. And what we have to do when we enter into this point of skepticism and cynicism and disbelief is we have to re-nurture the art of gratitude, gratitology. And that starts with acknowledgement that everything is from him, everything is through him, everything is to him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but but be, uh, excuse me, but because by it I see everything else. This is what we see in Psalm 136, acknowledgement. Let's keep moving here. When I give thanks, I remember God's story and recount all that he has done for me. Now this Thanksgiving, you're probably gonna sit down with family and friends like we are, and about, you know, we get done with the meal, we're gonna sit for a little while longer, and we, we just like to laugh and talk about the old times, things that we've done, things that have happened in our lives. I saw a large group of people walk out of a memorial service this past week here in the worship center, and I wondered how many of them were gonna go and sit down and eat together and just remember how much that person meant to them. We are people that need to do that. God has wired that within us, everybody. That's part of celebrating. That's part of giving thanks, recounting. Don't underestimate the power of that little prefix in the Christian life, that R-E prefix. God is in the process of recreating, re-edenizing, making a new creation in all of us, renewing us, refreshing us, refocusing us, and he calls us to do that as well, to remember, to recount, to regurgitate even. That's a loose English definition of the term meditate, which literally means to bring back up and chew upon. We meditate upon the works of God. We remember. Why? Because we're people who forget. We, we're just susceptible. We just, we're, we're just prone to forget who God is and what he has done for us. Throughout Deuteronomy 6 through 32, 10 times he tells them to remember that you may remember that I am your God and I did this for you. There's other times he warned him 15 more times in Deuteronomy 6 through 32. He says, do not forget or shall not forget or lest you forget. Why? Because we forget who he is and what he has done for us. Look at Psalm 136, 10 through 22. We're not gonna read it all. I just extracted out of those verses. What happens? The Hebrew people, after they give this great stadium cry, they go on to remember what God has done. They remembered his works, that he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. For every plague, for every plague, God confronted an Egyptian God and knocked him off the throne. 
He delivered Israel. He parted the Red Sea. He overthrew Pharaoh. He led them through the wilderness. He struck down kings and he gave them their land as a heritage. What are they doing? They're recounting. They're remembering. Have you forgotten what the Lord sounds like, the good shepherd? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I bet you if you took some time in the next few days this Thanksgiving season, you set aside some time and you remembered you remember spiritual markers when the Lord brought you this far. And you need to do that. We need to go back and remember so that we can move forward in faith. We need to return to him. When I give thanks, I proclaim and celebrate God's mighty work of salvation in Christ. Past, present, future. Well, let's say that uh, when you were 10 years old, you were saved by a friend from drowning. Now, what would you do if that happened for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of existence? I tell you what I'd do if that person walked in the room. I'd grab them by the arm. I'd walk them to everybody else, introduce them, tell everybody who that person is, and I'd say, I want to tell you something. This guy saved me. That's proclamation. That's declaration. When we give thanks biblically in a biblically faithful way, we acknowledge we remember, we proclaim. We declare that he is God and there is no other. And we tell everybody what God has done for us, his mighty saving works, what he did for us, what he's doing for us today, and what he will do. Did you know that our stories are so powerful that it says in the book of Revelation that the saints that were before the throne in that vision overcame by the word of their testimony. Not some magic incantation. They're stories. Do you know the story? Do you know God's cosmic story and how he wrote a story of grace in your life? Can you tell that to others? I'm not talking you have to go buy a bunch of Christian t-shirts. You have to start listening only to Christian music. You don't have to hand out booklets and pamphlets. You see, people are thirsty for living water. You just have to splash it on them. You just have to let them taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you do that? You proclaim who God is in your life. You declare it to them. Here's the challenge. The children of Israel did that back in the day, and it got them in trouble a lot. You know why? Because when you begin to say God is, our God is, what are you saying to everybody else's God? Yours isn't. That happened in Chronicles 20 with King Jehoshaphat and Judah. In 2 Chronicles 19, Jehoshaphat brings about, God uses him to bring about this great time of awakening and renewal in Judah. All the pagan shrines are destroyed. All the idols are destroyed. All the Asherah poles are pulled down and they repent and they turn back and it says they set their hearts and minds to fear the Lord, to honor him first and foremost, to seek him first. Guess what? They began to declare out loud that he was the Lord and there was no other. And that made three tribes upset. And those three tribes got together and said, we're going to form an alliance and we're going after them. And in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat gathers Judah and says, we need to pray. And they begin to pray. And the prophet, the seer, stands up and he says, you stand firm. You be bold. You be courageous for the battle is the, the battle is the Lord's. He will fight for you. So Jehoshaphat gathers the army the next morning. And I really appreciate this about the king. He says, put the musicians in front. 
sort of like the violinist in the Titanic. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure as the, the, the ship is going down. Can you imagine saying that to a group of Navy SEALs? They put their arms in there and their helicopter getting ready to drop down. What's our battle cry? The steadfast Lord, love of the Lord endures forever. Because that's what they say as they march forward. What kind of battle cry is that? I can think of some stronger ones. That was their stadium cry. That was their victory march. The band was out in front and they begin to march to the valley of Tekoa. By the time they get to the watchtower of that valley, they look out and guess what they saw? Everybody was dead. And what 2 Chronicles 20 says is those three tribes as they gather, God set up an ambush. I don't know exactly what that meant. All I know is they all got ticked off at each other and confused and they just killed each other. You see, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, says that these things, these Old Testament stories are stories we enter into as an example, that we draw spiritual parallels. What battle are you in right now? Do you know that the battle belongs to the Lord? What do you do when you're standing at the valley and you don't know what you're gonna see just on the other side beyond the tower? What do you do? You lift up a song of thanks and you proclaim that he is God and he is for you, and he is with you. And he just takes the very traps of the enemy and turns them back upon themselves. I love that song by Tommy Walker that we've sung here. It's called When I Don't Know What to Do, and the chorus says, when I don't know what to do, I lift my hands. When I don't know what to say, I speak your praise. When I don't know where to go, I run to your throne. And when I don't know what to think, I'll stand on your truth when I don't know what to do. That is Second Chronicles 20. That's Psalm 136, Thanksgiving, proclaiming. Listen, let me, let me take just a little extra time before I get to the last point. First Peter 2.9 says this, you, Emmanuel faith, are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may do what? proclaim. Say it loud. What do you do? You proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Listen up. All I have heard this week when I watch TV, when I go to the movies, when I walk around and talk to other people, all I hear is criticism, accusation, lying, slander, gossip, rumor, all these dark things, cussing, cursing, rumoring, Sometimes I even hear that in the walls of a worship space called the church. Folks, don't you think it's time for the people of God to stand up and sing a song of thanks? Anybody agree with me on that? Folks, now more than ever, the world has got to hear our song of thanks. Somebody say amen to that. That's gratitology. Acknowledge, remember, proclaim, receive. When I give thanks, I humbly receive the abundance of God's grace and love every day. Now listen, in the Old Testament, they were caught up in the external expression of thanksgiving. I believe for many it was heartfelt, but the closest word they could get to grace in the Old Testament was this word hesed, loving kindness. And that's what we see in Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, his steadfast love endures forever. Jesus completes the picture. 
And what we see under the new covenant, the new way of life, is charis. You know what that word means? Grace. You see, before Jesus, it was just an external expression. After Jesus, it was a heartfelt expression of love. You know, there's only three things you can really do when someone gives you a gift. You can refuse it, and when you do that, you're really rejecting the giver of that gift. Sometimes I've been tempted to do that just because I could never pay them back. It made me feel inferior to take that gift. Or I could look at them and say, I'll get the next one. I'll pay the bill next time. What's the old hymn that we sing here? I've seen some of you close your eyes and raise your hands. Jesus paid it all to him I owe. Here's the problem is many times we try and live our lives in a way that says, okay, Jesus, you paid it all, but I'll get the tip. Do you know the Bible teaches that's actually a cursed way of living? Because it launches you back into what John Piper calls the debtor's ethic. You cannot repay God. Like the 10 lepers that came to Jesus, he healed them and he said, you go proclaim. One came back, and what did he do? With open hands, with knees on the ground, he simply said what? Thank you. In the Advent season, we're gonna look at John 1, and John 1 says this, but to all who did what? Receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Somebody here needs to receive his grace today, his charis. For whom his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. In Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, that's relationship, and that's only because of Jesus. So there we have it. Gratitology 101 is seen in Psalm 136. We acknowledge, we remember, we proclaim we receive his good grace. That's where we get the term when we gather around the table this Thanksgiving. Who is going to say grace? I thought, what illustration could we use that would bring all these four terms together? It was right in front of me. And that's why we're taking communion a week early. We call it communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Table. Historically, though, you know what the, what the term was? Eucharist. And you know what that means? U charis, good grace, to give thanks. This is the true thanksgiving table. This is the supreme act of worship. Jesus took the bread and the cup and he, he received it from the Lord. He thanked God and blessed it, gave it to the apostles. And remember what he said, even that night, he said, when you take this, do this. Psalm 136, bringing it all together. And he said, whenever you do this, what do you do? And in that same night, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. For apart from me, Jesus said, you can do how much? Acknowledging from him, through him, to him. I'm gonna ask that you put your things away and that our servers come. Do you believe the Lord is with us right now? Do you believe he's present? And whenever we share this table, 
this thanksgiving table. We give thanks to God, we receive his grace, and we also share together in common union with one another in Christ Jesus. That's why we call it communion. Lord God, we acknowledge you here now. May you minister to us as we remember, as we proclaim, as we receive, and acknowledge that from you, through you, to you are all things. In Jesus' name, let's share it together now.